The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Dr. Dina Hinshaw standing by. Let's go to her right now. Thanks, Tom. Good afternoon, and thank you all for coming. Today, I am reporting that we confirmed 96 new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta. This brings the total number of cases to 968. Of these, 174 people have now recovered. That is 32 more than yesterday. We suspect 108 of our total cases may be community transmission, an increase of 14 from yesterday. I am also pleased to note that we conducted more than 4,000 tests in the last 24 hours as our lab continues to work at maximum capacity. Of these tests, approximately 98% came back negative, similar to previous days. Sadly, I must report two additional deaths related to COVID-19. One was a male in his 90s at the Mackenzie Town Continuing Care Centre in Calgary. Another, a male in his 80s in the North Zone. My sympathies go out to the family and friends of these individuals. We now have 74 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in continuing care facilities, and I expect that more will be confirmed in the coming days. This includes 65 confirmed cases at the Mackenzie Town Long-Term Care Centre and two new cases at the Manoir du Lac Retirement Home in the North Zone. All other cases have previously been reported. As of today, there are nine outbreaks at continuing care facilities across the province. Some of these have been opened due to staff working both at the Mackenzie Town long-term care facility and another site when these staff have been confirmed as a case. This is a precaution that we take to ensure that if there has been exposure by that staff who is now a confirmed case, that any measures needed to prevent spread within the second long-term care facility are taken immediately. These additional outbreaks include Cedars Villa Extendicare, Aged Care Seton, and Care West SARC facilities in Calgary. I want to emphasize again, these outbreaks are a precaution based on staff positive testing. In addition, we have confirmed one case at the Sheriff King Home Women's Shelter in Calgary. The safety in these facilities is a serious issue and one that is being faced across Canada. I know that residents and their families are concerned and I want to stress that I hear their concerns. Please know that we are doing everything possible to protect them from COVID-19. On March 20th, I ordered that all visitors to these facilities be limited to only those who are essential in an effort to, spread the, in an effort to prevent the spread of COVID-19 to residents. Since then, I have also issued updated standards for operators and staff of these facilities, including enhanced cleaning protocols and health screening measures to prevent outbreaks from occurring. However, it has become clear over the past couple of days that we must do more to protect those in congregate settings. That is why, effective today, I am issuing new standards that operators and staff of these facilities must follow in the event of a suspected or confirmed COVID-19 outbreak. These new standards, enforceable by law, will help ensure that those living and working in congregate settings are kept as physically safe as possible and will mitigate the risk of further spread within and between different facilities. 
Under the new orders, staff and operators will be required to notify public health as soon as a case is suspected or confirmed and if two or more residents exhibit COVID-like symptoms. Staff who may work at multiple facilities are required when there is a confirmed outbreak to immediately inform their supervisors if they have worked at or are working at a facility where there is a confirmed or suspected case. New directions are also provided on how facilities must operate in the event of an outbreak. These expectations are designed to limit the risk of spread while ensuring residents can continue to receive the care they need. This is an important measure, but we must all do our part in keeping the most vulnerable members of our society safe. If you are feeling ill in any way, stay home. Practice physical distancing whenever you're out in public. Continue to practice good hygiene by frequently washing your hands with soap and water. I cannot stress enough how important these measures are. COVID-19 is spread by close contact, which means every one of us must do our part in breaking the chain of transmission and keeping ourselves and others safe. By limiting the spread, we can help keep the virus out of nursing homes, shelters, and countless other places. I know this can be difficult, but it is the best way to limit the spread and save lives. By the end of today, it is likely we will reach over 1 million cases of COVID-19 worldwide. The way we go about our lives has changed and we must continue to adjust to the new normal. To help protect ourselves and to protect our friends, families and neighbours. This virus has shown how much our individual actions, no matter how small, can impact the lives of others and the tragic consequences that can result. We are all in this together, and we all have a role to play in keeping each other safe. Thank you, and I'll be happy to take questions. We will go to the phone first. Operator, could you patch through the first question, please? Operator, are you there? Sorry, first question is Heather Yorks with Global News. Go ahead, Heather. Hi there. I just had a question about, um, do we have any uh, confirmed cases in any First Nations communities in Alberta yet? And, and if you could just run through uh, any sort of testing measures that are being done to ensure that uh, people in these communities are, are kept safe from the virus's spread. Sure. So uh, we have not had any confirmed cases in individuals who live on First Nations reserves in Alberta. Uh, and in terms of measures to keep uh, the individuals who live in these communities safe, we have been working with the First Nations Inuit Health Branch since the start of our preparations, so since back in January, to make sure that we were well coordinated between the Ministry of Health, Alberta Health Services, and the First Nations Inuit Health Branch. So I have uh, participated in two video conferences with First Nations health directors and leaders to make sure that uh, it's clear that one of my priorities in this response is ensuring that First Nations communities uh, have access to the resources that they need to keep themselves safe. Uh, I know that Alberta Health Services has been working closely within each of the zones to liaise with the, with the communities that are in those zones to make sure that there is a coordinated approach to uh, 
helping support personal protective equipment supplies and access to lab testing. So that depends on where communities are in the province and different communities can access testing in different ways. Uh, you may recall, I think it was last week, I spoke about Siksika where they have set up testing protocols within the nation uh, that they're able to do testing um, again within that community and that's supported by Alberta Health Services in terms of the supplies and in other communities that same coordination is happening and with respect to communities that are close enough to major centers sometimes it's Alberta Health Services testing whether that's home testing or the assessment centers that those individuals can access so again want to emphasize that uh, we've been working closely and uh, and also that I am told by my colleague in First Nations Inuit Health Branch of the really incredible work that different nations are doing making sure that their communities are kept safe identifying locations where an individual who is ill uh, can go if they're in a house where it's difficult for them to isolate away from others uh, and working again with uh, Alberta Health Services to make sure that that access to the services that are needed if somebody does fall ill and should be diagnosed with COVID-19 that, that those access to services is as smooth as possible. We'll now turn to the floor. Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, clarification and then a question if that's okay. Uh, the first is um, when a worker is working at a place, uh, when they work in multiple facilities and they end up at one where there is a case or, or a suspected case and they inform their supervisor, um, are they then not allowed to work at separate facilities or, or what sort of happens after they've informed their supervisor? And the other question would just be why now bring these effects in? Um, could they have been brought in sooner? Sure, so the first question in terms of what happens when they inform. So this uh, set of standards is the first step and people will likely be aware that in British Columbia they have taken steps to make sure that across the province workers are required to work in only one long-term care facility. And so that's something that we are you know, looking at and assessing the feasibility. We understand that there could be significant workforce shortages if we were to go down that road. So we can't take that measure without really carefully considering what other measures need to be put in place to mitigate staffing shortage because people who live in these facilities need safe care and they also need to be protected from exposure. So today the measures that uh, are being put in place with respect to outbreaks say that if there is a site that has a confirmed case of COVID-19 that any of the staff who work in that site again must notify their supervisors that they will not be dismissed so that they cannot be fired for that purpose. Uh, however, the, the staff who work in that outbreak facility uh, in an ideal world would be working only in that facility and not at any other facilities. But each situation will require, require work with Alberta Health Services, public health on the front lines because we need to balance the need to make sure that facilities stay staffed, uh, also with making sure that we limit exposure. So again, the, the orders today are about as much as possible Possible, limiting staff to just one facility. Then there was the question about whether or not these orders could have, should have been put in place sooner. Uh, I can tell you we have been working on these orders for some time and trying to make sure that as we 
moved forward with them, we were not initiating unintended consequences that would have um, negative out outcomes with respect to the people who live in these facilities and the staff they need to care for them. So I, I think speed is of the essence in this response and we have been trying to move quickly on this, but we also recognize that if we move too quickly sometimes it can result in unintended consequences that also have uh, poor health outcomes. So that really again is that balance of trying to move as quickly as we can while being thoughtful about the, the outcomes. We'll now go back to the phone. Operator, could you patch through the next question, please? Next question is James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. Hi there. We've previously heard from AHS that the province has about 500 ventilators with 50 more on the way. Uh, last night in the legislature, Premier Kenny said a couple of times that the province would have 925 ventilators by April 22nd. Do you know where that number comes from, and does that mean the province has secured more than the 50 new ventilators that we already knew about? So that question is going to be one that I'll have to defer and we'll have to get back to you on um, with respect to the explaining this, but the specifics of, of those uh, numbers. Sorry, I can't provide, don't have that information at hand. James, AHS can provide that information and we'll make sure you're connected after this. Operator, could you patch to the next question, please? Yes, next question is Jennifer Lee with CBC. Go ahead, Jennifer. Sorry about that. Um, question, Dr. Hinshaw, we are hearing more concerns from families uh, who have had loved ones, have a loved ones at the McKenzie Town Care Centre about, um, as you know, infection prevention within the facility early on and just um, the level to which early cases were taken seriously enough. Can you speak to those concerns and further actions that are being taken to, to address some of these issues? So clearly um, with 65 cases in one site, uh, that is a significant concern. Um, and as I've mentioned before, in discussions with my colleagues at the local level, the medical officers of health who work in Calgary, it's my understanding that uh, it would have been better to have had earlier notification of those cases so that action could have been taken when there were you know, one or two cases. Uh, what I will say is that going forward, I know that my colleagues at the local level are doing everything they can to work with that facility to make sure that uh, further restrictions that are required there to prevent any further spread is happening. However, we know that with an incubation period of up to 14 days, we can continue to see new cases that may have been exposed uh, last week or the week before. And so with that particular site, again, while everything is possible is being done, um, it is possible we will continue to see new cases and uh, public health again is, is working very closely to make sure that uh, when and if that happens again all the supports that are required are there for that location. It is also part of the reason why the new outbreak guidelines are so critical because
because we've heard from operators that there may be some confusion about when they're supposed to call public health or how to connect with public health. And so these new standards give very clear direction on what's expected with even one case of a resident in a facility who's experiencing a cough or a fever, who to call and how to get that public health support right from the get-go with even one case to prevent any spread in a facility. And so this is on top of those other measures with respect to screening of staff uh, and the other things that we've put in place over the past week. Uh, but again, I, I really think that the critical thing in this particular instance is to learn everything we can so that this situation does not happen again. We'll now return to the room. Julia? Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Last week you talked about how there could be more aggressive measures put into place. With everything that's happened this past week with all the outbreaks, I'm just wondering how much closer we are to more aggressive measures like shelter in place or perhaps closing off provincial borders to non-Alberta residents. So at the moment, again with the outbreaks, it's clear that we need to take the actions we're taking today with respect to being very aggressive about these populations where some of our most vulnerable Albertans live. And so I think these measures are, are part of what we're needing to do at this time. With respect to more aggressive measures in the population, uh, I think some of those questions about you know, sheltering in place, as I understand, is a term that's used in some places where the entire population is asked to stay at home not leave their houses except for essential business. Um, and I would say that our, our advice to date has gotten quite close to that with respect to we have shut down non-essential businesses, uh, we are requiring restrictions on those that remain open, and we have provided advice, especially for those who are older uh, or have chronic medical conditions, that they very carefully consider any uh, activity that they may need to take outside of their house and make sure that they're keeping distant from others, they're not going to crowded places, uh, and that if they don't need to leave the house that they do stay home. So I, I think we've actually, we haven't called it sheltering in place, but I think most of our recommendations have already made it clear that people should stay away from others as much as possible. Uh, the question about closing provincial boundaries really is a question about what risk we are at from our neighbours. We know that we have spread within the province. Uh, it's clear that British Columbia does as well, as, as does Saskatchewan. Um, and so again, the recommendations that I've made previously to Albertans to say, uh, at this time, don't travel if you don't have to outside of the province. In fact, don't travel if you don't have to even within the province. So a lot of these pieces are in place as recommendations. And we do continue to assess the situation with respect to whether or not any more aggressive measures may be required. Uh, but at this time, Again, I, I would say that most of those things are recommendations we've already made to Albertans and would ask them to stay as close to home as possible. Excellent. We'll turn to the phone. Operator, could you patch through the next question? Next question is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering if non-symptomatic long-term care workers have been added to the group of people being prioritized for testing. Can you clarify non-systematic long-term care sorry, workers? Long symptomatic. Oh, oh, sorry, non-symptomatic. Um, so 
at the moment, again, our testing has always been focused on individuals with symptoms. However, individuals who have even mild symptoms, so runny nose, sore throat, uh, would be considered for testing. And long-term care workers have been on our list for uh, testing ever since earlier this week when we did shift away from uh, our travel-related focus. And I will say, actually, that long-term care has always been an area of focus with respect to outbreak testing. So for many weeks, whenever we've had a report of what previously was called an influenza-like illness outbreak, which would be two or more people in a long-term care setting who have cough, fever, those symptoms, uh, part of our standard protocol every year is when that happens, those individuals do get tested, including staff and residents. And so for many weeks, all of those tests that have been done in outbreak settings have been tested for COVID. So again, we've, we've been doing testing in this setting for a while, uh, but it really is focused on symptomatic because those individuals who have symptoms are the ones who have the highest risk of transmitting to others. And so that's again where we're focusing. Excellent. We'll take two more questions on the phone and then come back to final ones in the room. Operator, could you patch through the next question, please? Next question is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. G'day, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, kind of a specific and then a more general question for you. Um, first of all, specifically, people with asthma, underlying health conditions like diabetes, do you have specific guidance for them? You kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. And then just more generally, is there any sign or any indication yet about when Alberta will be out of a lockdown? Is there any sunlight on the horizon here at all? So with respect to the first question, uh, anyone with chronic conditions, you mentioned a couple, so asthma, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, having heart conditions, those are the people who are at highest risk for severe disease. So again, I would recommend that people who fit in that category really think carefully about the activities that they undertake, uh, that they are going to essential places only, uh, and if they are in a place where there are others, such as grocery shopping, that they um, are very careful to stay two meters apart from others. They're washing their hands carefully, uh, perhaps taking a sanitizing wipe to use to wipe down the handle of the basket or the shopping cart that they use. So really, really being cautious about how often they're out and what they're doing while they're out, again, is, is the best advice to give to those individuals. The question about how long we might be in this before we come out the other side with respect to the restrictions, that's a challenging one uh, because what we know is that this virus is one that none of us are immune to. So when what we're doing by these measures is we're slowing the spread of the virus, which is important because we know that as the virus spreads, there will be a certain percentage of those who get it who end up in hospital or ICU. And if we allow it to spread widely, it would overwhelm our health system and we would end up in a situation like we've seen in other countries where uh, there are too many people to receive adequate care uh, and people end up dying not just from COVID, but from other diseases that may need hospital care when all the hospital beds are full with COVID. So again, these measures are about slowing the spread and giving us time to get better research with respect to what treatments might help, getting closer to perhaps having a vaccine in several months' time, um, and also building our capacity for testing and contact tracing because what we've seen other countries who've been successful in controlling 
the spread do is they put the lockdown measures in place uh, and it gives them time to build their system to be able to really ramp up those measures um, and then that's, there's that potential of easing off on the restrictions while remaining really, really focused on control of any individual cases of COVID. So even if and when we do ease those restrictions, people do need to be prepared for the fact that we will continue to be isolating those who have COVID, isolating close contacts of those individuals. That measure will be in place for many months. Um, but the other society-wide restrictions, I anticipate, again, that we will likely need to have those in place for some months uh, when we look at the, uh, the spread of this because if we start to ease them off we will see spread start to increase again and I know that's challenging but unfortunately these measures are all that we have to protect each other. Well, operator will take one more from the phone. Next question is Kelly Kreiderman from the Globe and Mail. Go ahead Kelly. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. I'm wondering if you can provide more clarity about the definition of outbreak, because you're talking about a potential outbreak at nine senior centers in Alberta, but I don't think any of those compare to the numbers that we're seeing um, at Mackenzie Town, where about half, by my count, of the residents are now infected with COVID-19. So could you clarify the definition of um, outbreak and what it means, if it means different things for different facilities? So the definition of outbreak that's in uh, the standards that are going to be in place effective today, uh, what we've done is we've put in place three levels of outbreak. So we've called a suspected outbreak is where you have uh, at least one person in a facility. So that could be a staff or a resident who has symptoms that are compatible with COVID-19. And the actions that are needed to, to happen at that point is that person who has symptoms is isolated and public health is called to make sure that protocols are put in place to stop the spread around that person and that testing happens immediately. A probable outbreak would be two or more people in a facility, residents or staff, who have, again, symptoms compatible with COVID-19. And there would be then some additional measures, not just the isolating and testing of those individuals, but potentially also, for example, uh, limiting uh, mass, um, group gatherings that happen at, in that facility and trying to keep people... Uh, distanced, physically distanced within that facility as much as possible while waiting for the test results to come back. A confirmed outbreak, we are being very cautious, which I think is appropriate in this context. So a confirmed outbreak would be one or more, but even one confirmed case of COVID in a staff or resident of a long-term care facility or congregate care site. And so uh, what we're seeing, as I mentioned, we have nine outbreaks declared. In some of those sites, that outbreak just means that there's a staff who worked at that site who was confirmed as a case uh, and in, the, in our current situation those staff are all linked back to Mackenzie Town in terms of having been part of, of that group um, but we are wanting to make sure that those sites where there was a potential exposure enter into outbreak protocols because we don't want to wait until we have two or four or ten confirmed cases of COVID-19 before we declare the outbreak we need to declare it early 
so that we can put all of the measures in place to protect people and then wait until, uh, well, you typically we wait until two incubation periods have passed, which is one month or, or 28 days, uh, to make sure that there's no additional cases before we lift that outbreak. So again, I know that there's a difference between a site that has only one staff member as a confirmed case versus a site that has uh, 65 confirmed cases, but we're actually treating them all the same with respect to enhanced measures because we can't afford to take chances and this uh, virus spreads quite easily. I've got uh, two quick clarifications and then a question for you. Um, the, the man in his 80s who died in northern Alberta, was he staying at a seniors care home as well or was he? Uh, yes, so the new outbreak that we uh, announced today in the Manoir du Lac retirement home, uh, he was a resident of that facility. Perfect. And uh, you mentioned, I just want to make sure I have my numbers right here, 74 uh, confirmed cases in long-term care facilities, 65 of those at Mackenzie Town. That's correct. Perfect. And then my question is uh, from a colleague here, we've heard from uh, from somebody working at a senior's home that it's taken up to eight days to get a test for residents and, and five days for a result. They feel like that's too long. Is there more we could be doing to do these tests in a more timely manner? Absolutely, and we are looking at various options for that. And so one of the things I'll say is that we did, over the past week, have a significant backlog of tests due to our shortage of reagent. And our, our lab has managed to clear that backlog. So I anticipate that the turnaround time will be much shorter going forward, but we are also looking at uh, using some of the rapid tests that Alberta Health Services has ordered and considering where those can be placed and how we can prioritize these congregate care settings for getting quicker turnaround, especially for a first suspected case, so that we're able to know very quickly whether or not there's confirmed COVID in a facility. So we are looking at multiple options for how we can uh, decrease that turnaround time and get faster results back to these locations. Final question to Janet. Dr. Henshaw, um, there's been, as you may or may not be aware, some political debate about whether the shelters, the emergency shelters that have been put in place are adequate for physical distancing between people who are staying there. Um, I'm curious, why are the standards for those shelters different than the advice that you would give to everyday people? Um, and um, what would an ideal scenario look like? You know, if you had a magic wand, bibbidi bobbidi boo, you could... Mm -hmm. create it, what, what would a perfect scenario look like for sheltering those folks? So a perfect scenario would be that everyone had their own home to be in. That's the perfect scenario. I mean, that's actually pretty easy. Um, with respect to the measures that are currently in place, uh, so I did create an exemption, um, and this was based on my own judgment and discussions with my team, an exemption for current shelters with respect to the distancing of mats specifically. And so I want to be clear that the distancing of people during the day with respect to being in the shelter or moving around in a space, that they would have the same recommendation of two meter distancing as anyone else, and that was clear in the exemption. Uh, the other thing that was required in the exemption was that although mats are spaced one meter apart, uh, the requirement is that when people are sleeping that they would lay head to toe so that their distance would be, the distance between their heads would be greatest um, in terms of that diagonal line. So it is greater than one meter. And finally, that anyone who is ill 
so anyone who has any of the symptoms of COVID would not be in the general shelter space, but would be in the designated isolation spaces that have been set up uh, in shelters across the province or in, in separate facilities. And that in those locations where people are ill, that two meters is required even for sleeping spaces. And so with respect to the decision that, that I took on that particular exemption, it was based on considering the fact that if we went to two meter spacing for sleeping arrangements in all shelters across the province, it would reduce the sleeping capacity by half. Uh, and especially because we are seeing a, a sort of atypically cold April, trying to weigh out the risks of having people not have places to sleep versus the risks of being in a space where some of these other measures can be put in place and spread can be mitigated. So again, I want to be clear that um, that, that was a decision that I made based on conversations with my team uh, and one that uh, we'll continue to look very closely at. The population who use homeless shelters are particularly vulnerable and they are a concern of mine. I want them to be protected. I also want them to be protected from cold uh, and from the elements and to make sure that we're balancing all of the risks that this population experiences. And COVID is, is one of many risks. My apologies, I missed the final question. So Tom, we can give it to you. Thanks so much for taking my question. It's around the release of projections. We're going to see Alberta's release next week, Ontario this week. When we see these numbers, how should Albertans take them? And, and as a medical professional, do you see value in these numbers being made public? So I think the importance of the numbers being made public is that I think it helps people understand that what we're seeing now in terms of total numbers isn't the peak. Because I think, you know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, we're making a big fuss over nothing. There's only this handful of cases. Uh, this is just, just like influenza. We always have a few deaths every year. So why, why are we doing all of this? I think the benefit of the modeling is that it helps people think about um, the magnitude of the situation and what we're seeing in other countries like Italy, Spain, or even in New York City, uh, that those scenarios would be what we would experience if we were not doing the things that we're currently doing, that this is not influenza, this is uh, something that no one has immunity to and that has a higher rate of hospitalization and death than influenza does. And so I think the modeling will help people understand what, if we look at the scenarios and the projections of what our rate might be. I think it really helps people understand the importance of the measures that we're taking. Uh, and so again, that would be the, the message and I think there'll be opportunity to speak about it next week when those are released. Uh, in terms of they, they are estimates, so this isn't going to be a perfect prediction, but it's our best estimate, even with our current measures, of what our scenario is likely to be, which does have uh, higher numbers than we're seeing now. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Dr. Inshaw will provide another update tomorrow afternoon at 4.30. You've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw, the Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, give her daily update. I can tell you that we have 96 new cases of COVID-19 in the province for a total of 968. 174 people have recovered. That's 32 more than yesterday. Of the total, 108 may be community transmission, and there's been two new deaths recorded, a 